SAFM, 104 to 107. Straight to our top story this hour, the Supreme Court of Appeals in Bloemfontein has ruled in favour of uh, roads agency Sunroll on the introduction of the e-tolling system on Gauteng freeways. The opposition to Urban Tolling Alliance was appealing against uh, the agency's decision to proceed with the introduction of the system. The North Gauteng High Court in Pretoria had earlier also ruled in support of the system. Last month, President Jacob Zuma signed into law the Transport Laws and Amendment Related Bill, which paves the way for Sunrise's introduction of the system. Edwin Sidi reports. There's been opposition to the ETOL system from the broader public. The ETOL case has been in and out of court since government announced its intention to roll out the program. The court challenge was brought by the lobby group, the opposition to Urban Tolling Alliance, OTA, under the leadership of Wayne Duvenage. Late last month, the ETOL case went to the Supreme Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein. However, at this stage, it's still unclear the reasons for rejecting OTA's application to have the system scrapped. The DA in Gauteng is strongly opposed to the controversial system. It previously contributed about a million rand for the court challenge launched by OTA. The DA's Jack Bloom has expressed a disappointment that the court has ruled against OTA. Everybody must look at the individual situation. I think that there's a lot of resistance to buying e-tags, and I would still call on the government to reconsider. It's not too late for the government to reconsider the imposition of the tolls. They're very, very unpopular. I think that it's an unworkable and very expensive system that is unnecessary. I call on government to, to reconsider the e-tolls, even though the appeal court decision has not gone in favour of out. Just recently, President Jacob Zuma signed into law the Transport, Laws and Related Matters Amendment Bill. This paved the way for the introduction of the controversial e-tolling system on Gauteng's freeways. Kosadu in Gauteng has also been in the forefront of the fight against e-tolls. It had several discussions with government in an attempt to pursue them to scrap the e-tolls. The Federation embarked on drive slow campaigns. Kosadu Provincial Chairperson Putasteki has asked motorists not to purchase e-tags, saying government is undermining motorists. But I think that Kosadu were quite shocked uh, while we were thinking that we are disengaging of our government with the leader of our government, the African National Congress, all of a sudden the issues were signed. And we believe that we are going to come up with a program on how to respond to the signing of the ETOs. All of Houghton people who believe they are quite worried. Users of the Houghton ETOL roads are expected to purchase a day pass called ETEX for between 30 and 250 rand. Recent media reports suggest that the government agency responsible for roads, Sandral, is approaching several banks in the hope of raising over a billion rand, the bulk of the amount needed to service the debt on the Houghton Freeway Improvement Project. This is the project that led to the improvement of freeways in the province, which is meant to be funded through ETOLs. Earlier, it was also reported that the agency had run out of money, with debt totaling 65 billion rand, including interest. The agency reportedly borrowed 20 billion rand from local and foreign investors to fund the project. Most of the motorists we spoke to have vowed not to buy e-tax. I think uh, this e is is a very bad idea. They are going to make uh, life very expensive. O- already we are paying more money when it comes uh, to... To, to petrol. When I'm looking about ETOL, ETOL is a wasting uh, a time, a lot of money with the government, and so they've got a poor people here around who've got no shelters, no food, no nothing. So I don't think ETOL is the right thing. Well, I think about the ETOLing, I think it's 
I think it was very unwise of them. It was very dumb. And uh, that report by Edwin C.D. here in Johannesburg. Earlier, I spoke to outer spokesperson Wayne Divinage to find out uh, uh, about how they react to the Supreme Court of Appeals uh, decision in uh, Bloemfontein. Well, it is disappointing. What we want to do is study the judgment. We're going to have a press conference tomorrow, and we'll be able to give far more insight and depth to those questions. I don't think it's the end of the road for tolling, the tolling matter. Uh, society has outrightly rejected uh, this, this plan, and tolling doesn't work. It fails in time uh, in all societies where it doesn't have the support of the people. So uh, it's not the end. It might be the end of one legal challenge, um, but we have Kasatu, we have uh, political parties, uh, in fact, every political party barring one that is, that is opposing this. We have the churches, uh, business forums, so it's not the end. Um, this matter just really morphs into uh, another space. So it goes into the people's court now, with a lot of unintended consequences expected if they force it into being. But uh, all signs are pointing to a situation where e-tolls are becoming a reality now. You've got the president signing uh, what's known as the e-toll bill, and uh, really you've got uh, this ruling by the court. So really, perhaps uh, the mentality and approach should change and prepare the Gautengas for the reality. Well, for a temporary reality, maybe. You know, if they want to force an unjust policy into being, uh, then it's a matter of how governable is that. If it's not enforceable, if it doesn't have the will and the support of the people, then uh, it, it, it has a temporary life, as we've seen with very shocking policies in the past. So, you know, it doesn't mean that because it's got a tick by government and it's an act and it's, uh, and, and it's law now that, that, that's, that it makes it practical, that it makes it uh, acceptable. Administratively, it would appear that everything has been done to ensure that this happens. Now, you, you have a situation where you want to uh, renew, for instance, a license for your car, and you're told that uh, you don't have an e-tech. You do not pay the e-toll, so you cannot then renew that license. So people will... will no, that's not the case. Eh? Mm. That's not the case. No, it's not the license case right now, but I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying if the government wants to, to tighten its yeah. grip on this, and they yeah. can implement things like those. So how do you deal with that? Some, some, some South Africans, some Gautengas might feel, maybe I need just to give in. Well, there will be a number of Gautengas that will give in. I agree with you, um, because it's just uh, it's too easy to give in. Um, and that will happen. But, you know, detailing requires over 90% compliance for it to work. It is failing right now in Portugal. The compliance levels of the VTOL system in Texas has dropped from 90 to 79%. What we're saying to you is that rules and legislation are only as good as they are governable, manageable, administered efficiently. That's the issue around e-tolling. When it's illogical and irrational and doesn't have the support of society, you can put any law into place. Will it stand the test of time? E-tolling won't. Certainly in this environment, the biggest e-tolling matter of its kind in the world. Uh, and, and, you know, we unfortunately live in a society which is not as compliant as it should be, uh, we have under 20% of traffic fines paid. The list goes on and on. The, the number of number plates that are cloned are over 10% in, 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 in the Joburg area. Now, the unintended consequences are huge if this is forced into being. Some will comply, some will go out there. But if you have 20, 30, 40% that don't, 
you had a situation that failed. If I have someone who comes from outside Gauteng who is not registered, they come here for a, a day or two or three or even a week, how does it work? It's complicated. They will try and tell you that it's easy. But let me tell you this. If you come into the region uh, once a month, you can buy a day pass for 50 rand, I think, and use the roads as much as I for that day. If you come in more than once a month, you have to get a tag. We don't have to get a tag ever. Then you just go in and, and log, log in and register but uh, it is complicated. Here's, here's the scenario that we would like answered by them, and maybe you want to put this to them. If I'm a, if I'm a person who comes onto these freeways on a regular basis, I'm not connected. I live in the township. I do not have a computer. I do not want to get an e-tag because lawfully, I don't, legally, I don't have to, and I don't support the system. I'm not saying I don't want to pay my bills. How are you going to get those invoices to me and allow me to pay the standard rate uh, within the seven days, I'm happy to pay within seven days when those things are posted to me. How are you going to manage that when it comes from thousands of people? Because that is the reality. The reality is not everybody is connected, not everyone's online, and not everybody has the time to go into a customer service center on a weekly basis to find out what their bill is and to pay it. Outer spokesperson Wayne Divinage talking to us uh, a little bit er- earlier and the Outer uh, says it will outline its plan going forward only tomorrow but you can outline your plan right now 34701 welcome your SMSs on uh, the e-tolls uh, they're becoming a reality so we all know now that it's uh, happening. Vusimona is the spokesperson for Sunrail. Good afternoon to you sir. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Is, is this it? Uh, e-tolls in Gauteng are happening for real? Well, today's ruling by the Supreme Court of Appeal adds another dimension of certainty on this matter. Following President Zuma signing into law the Transport Laws and Related Matters Amendment Bill two weeks ago, um, our view as Sunwal is that uh, we have done things according to the law, and today's ruling affirms that position. Mm. Many issues have been raised. One of the issues uh, raised here by, for instance, uh, Mr. Duvenage, is that the issue of uh, compliance. Maybe let me start by asking you the basic, basic question. Administratively, how are you going to make sure that uh, ETOs work? Look, let me just say that uh, Mr. Wayne Duvenage uh, seems to have a lot of uh, crystal ball reading skills about how these things will pan out into the future. I will not dispute uh, those esteemed skills that he has. But it would be stupid as an agency and as government to come up with a system that, one, administratively uh, we cannot implement, two, that is unenforceable. Uh, he wishes it's going to be administrative bad, and he wishes it's going to be unenforceable. But you see, we must make a distinction between wishful thinking and reality. I can tell you that the system is ready. Uh, we're supposed to uh, go live with the system two years ago, or start talking two years ago. We couldn't because they interdicted us. So from 2011 to date, the system is in live. We've been doing tests, which is one positive thing um, with this uh, litigation. It has afforded us an opportunity to test, to run uh, 
the system, run a couple of tests. So we, we evaluate both administratively and technically, um, irrespective of what the wishful thinkers are saying about that. Well, maybe and the maybe it's wishful thinking, but also it uh, it is it is make bang uh, of uh, reality that uh, administratively there might be challenges. But uh, in terms of compliance as well, we know that uh, not a group, South Africans are not uh, a great deal of uh, co- compliers as a country. For instance, I, I on think, the roads, I think I think the role of a public broadcast and a law-abiding citizen like Mr. Duvenage should be to encourage um, abiding by the laws of the country. We cannot run a serious constitutional democracy where we pick and choose which laws uh, we want to obey. Mm. Uh, so those who want to steer society into a mass defiance, I will challenge them to say this is not an illegitimate uh, government. This is a constitutional democracy. This is where we respect the rule of law. Uh, and critically for some of us, we've got to decide the South Africa, you know, what it is we are going to do with the user charge principle. I think the public broadcaster charges us for license fees. Now, I'm not about to stand up in society and say, because you don't like the programming that you see on national television, you sure. don't have to pay your TV license. Let's I don't think in a constitutional democracy we can encourage such kind of thinking. Uh, let's, so let's whether I like your programming, which uh, well, I'll reserve my comments for now, whether I like what I see on television or what I hear on radio, I've got an obligation to pay my TV license. Indeed. Let's talk about, uh, about the cost. The, the, the cost of uh, collecting the 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 the, e-toll, the, the, the money uh, to pay for for, for this, we, we're hearing all sorts of stories, and uh, of course, uh, I would I would ask you, Mr. Mona, to to please unpack it for us. How much did it cost uh, the, the the country to put up these gantries, to put up the e-tolls, and uh, how much will it cost South Africa to collect uh, the, the the money for the e-tolls? You know, before I answer that question, I want to go back to an opinion article by Professor Defus who, after the Concord judgment last day, actually blamed the middle class and the media on this. He said, you guys failed to ask the right questions that you're asking me now. You were supposed to ask them in 2007, as the media, when cabinet took this decision. The middle class, when it was supposed to make inputs into this law, Professor DeForce, not me, says it didn't bother. It was busy making money. It's a lesson for us. Lesson All right, for let's us. get on so with it the then. Media, how much yes, is what I will answer. I will, I will answer that question, but we must keep context. Right? We have communicated a number of times, and I'm surprised that, that this question keeps on coming up. But what's wrong with it keep on coming up? I mean, of, I think South out, Africa out needs to know. Rand, that, out, of every rand, out of every rand, can, can I then answer your question? Out of every rand that we collect, 17 cents goes to the cost of collection. 83 cents goes to repaying the 20 billion rands that we have raised. It goes back onto the road in terms of maintenance, in terms of the on-road services. But uh, other levies, like uh, like fuel, for instance, uh, wouldn't that uh, have helped in in repaying that debt of 20 billion rand? No, it didn't have. It sounds very intelligent, but it didn't have. Because, uh, number one, in terms of uh, fairness, uh, you didn't pass the test. Because you'd expect an old man who drives an old bike in Tofilzaba, when he pulls his uh, fuel there to subsidize you and me, who are enjoying a high-level uh, uh, service road here in Canton, how fair is that? When we are saying we want to alleviate the poverty, right? But we are saying to other provinces, pay for this road. Give us the fuel levy. We want to have the fuel levy. And we want to have it eventually for housing. Uh, we've had this argument, and it does, with due respect, sound very intelligent, but it's actually very stupid. All right. 
Vusimona is the spokesperson for Sandra there on the offensive, as you heard. But I'm sure Sandra will be relieved that that the court has ruled in this particular manner, and perhaps maybe they'll be able to go to the capital market and raise money. You remember that Sandra has been downgraded for not servicing this debt. Maybe it's a good thing for the country. What do you make of this? Three four seven zero one is our SMS line. We are also available at Kualapi News. That's our Twitter handle at. 24 past 12. Midday live on SAFM 104 to 107. Our top story this hour DA in Gauteng says it's disappointed at the dismissal of the Supreme Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein of the opposition to urban tolling alliances bid to stop the multi billion rand e tolling system. Looking at the markets this hour, gold is trading at $1,309.20 an ounce, platinum at $1,389.20. 40 cents an ounce. The rand is trading at 10 rand. Smack bang on the button against the US dollar. It's at 15 rand 90 to the pound and at 13 rand 50 to the euro. Think about what to prosper means to you. Is it all about money? Or is it something more? While it's undeniable that money is a vital part of life, it should never dictate the story of our lives. And only when we apply our minds as much to the storyline as the bottom line can we focus on what really matters, the road ahead. Perhaps our castles in the sky don't look the same or cost the same, but they're our castles and we all have the potential to realize them. At EBSA we believe that unconditionally. So when you thought about what to prosper means to you, talk to us. As we see it, we're not just there to help you live. We're here for you to prosper. ABSA is a member of Barclays, an authorized financial services and registered credit provider. Good evening and welcome aboard Top Travel, South Africa's most exciting travel TV show. I'm Yanez. And I'm Jeannie Dean. And we'll be your hosts. You will be delighted to find that instead of being sandwiched between the overweight techno DJ and the narcoleptic that keeps drooling on your shoulder, you can embark on this journey from the comfort of your own sofa. Please put your seat back, your feet up, ensure your tray table is in front of you with your choice of snacks and beverages, and enjoy the ride as we take you on a journey through the world's best travel destinations. Climb aboard Top Travel every Wednesday at 8pm only on SABC3. Midday live on SAFM 104 to 107. 27 past 12, indeed, midday live, SAFM 104 to 107. We have uh, our senior constitutional court reporter here in studio with me, Candice Klein. The constitutional court, Candice, has held a, a trade union uh, liable for damages claim uh, after it failed to uphold its end of uh, the bargain in an unfair dismissal case. The judgment paved the way for two employees to sue uh, the Food and Allied Workers Union for lost compensation. Please uh, just uh, remind us of uh, this story. Give us a background to it and really uh, and talk us through the ruling. Well, it was a very, it's a very interesting case because for the first time ever you have members of a union taking their union to court mm. um, over a failure to fulfill their end of the bargain, as it were, in a contract. Um, so what happened was many years ago, um, two employees of Nestle were, uh, were unfairly dismissed. Um, they weren't given adequate notice. After serving 20 years, they were just summarily dismissed mm. from, from the company. So they had a claim for unfair dismissal. The case went to the CCMA, and their union, Fawu, represented them at the CCMA. 
Um, they couldn't come to any conclusion there. Um, so what happened was they were given the go-ahead to approach the Labour Court. Right. And, and everybody thought that they had quite a strong case to go on because of the terms and how the dismissal went, went about. So the union told the employees, don't worry, we're going to sort this out in the Labour Court. We've got three months within which mm. to file mm. the application and have this thing heard. Don't worry, you sit back, relax, we'll do this do this thing going forward. They didn't do it, though. They said they would, but they didn't. Um, the the, the, the three-month period lapsed, so it meant that now they'd have to approach the court first to ask for permission and say, sorry that we're bringing our ap- application so late. I hope you can condone our late application. Can we please argue our our case before you? Um, and instead of doing that, um, the, the, the employee said, no, but this is unfair. I mean, the union put us in this position. Mm. We, we, we could have been on time. We could have filed on time. We could have argued in our case we could have gotten our compensation by now so they chose to sue the union um, for wow. the compensation that they would have gotten through the labor court process um, that was upheld by the high court by the supreme court of appeal and now we heard the constitutional court electing not to enter the fray on behalf of the union saying yes you should be paying compensation because you had a contract with these workers you told them you were going to you, you were going to do certain things you decided last minute you won't you weren't going to do it for whatever reason but that doesn't um, uh, limit you in terms of fulfilling your end of the bargain and so therefore you should pay them um, compensation. And that's the ruling today. That's the ruling today. And uh, does it set a, a precedent maybe of some sort? It does. I mean uh, during the hearing itself the Deputy Chief Justice was raising an issue around you know the the, 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 the mantra of uh, Kasatu, an injury to one is an injury to all mm. because the union had tried to hide behind that saying you know it wasn't in the interest of the general union to assist these two employees in this case um, and, and, and of course the Constitutional Court coming very firmly out by saying that if, you, if you're saying to people that an injury to one is an injury to all and mm. you're saying you're going to pick up all those battles and you're going to carry the cudgels and you're really going to fight for your workers, then you have to do that. If you fail to do that, then there are consequences. So that's really what it is. It's the first time we've ever had such a case. I'm sure it opens up opportunities for others if they're unhappy with the way the union has been fulfilling their end of the bargain perhaps to then approach the courts and say we should be compensated. Checks and balances uh, for trade unions, and this one really, for me, to me, it appears as uh, just a sheer incompetence and bundling. It's not like they tried it in court and they failed, but they just failed to submit the papers timelessly. Interesting. 12.30, thank you very much, uh, Candice Klein. We'll see you later, but uh, we'll stay with this story, and we'll be talking to uh, independent labor analyst uh, Gavin Brown shortly. But uh, let's say good afternoon to Utsile Sako with the news headlines. Midday Live on SAFM. 104 to 107. Not only I'm going to be listening to uh, otherwise this afternoon, but I'll be watching because I'll promise to come across to the sixth floor and have a quick chat with Shadow. Thank you very much. Uh, we'll see you then. And uh, let's continue with uh, that particular story of uh, the Constitutional Court uh, holding a trade union liable for damages claim after it failed to uphold its end of uh, the bargain in an unfair dismissal case. The judgment paves the way for two employees to sue uh, the Food and Allied Workers Union for lost compensation in a unanimous decision penned by Justice Edwin Cameron. The Constitutional Court also ordered the union to pay the costs of uh, the appeal. Let's say good afternoon now to an independent labor analyst, Kevin Brown. Good, Mr. Brown, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Bongwa. And uh, what do you make of uh, the judgment? Well, you know, it's quite simple law. Um, in fact, the judgment itself has many references 
to cases going back to you know the beginning of the last century. So the legal principles involved are actually quite simple. It, you know, there's been a breach of contract. Um, the fact that it's a trade union and and obviously members suing their trade union attract some publicity. Um, but it is certainly the sort of thing that happens on a very much larger scale generally throughout the union movement, and that's not always a result of intent, as you mentioned earlier, uh, but simply under-resourcing, under-capacity, lack of administrative management skills, things like that. But it certainly is going to have the effect of making people who feel aggrieved by what the union has done in these kind of cases to pursue the matter. Mm. And, and uh, we, we're seeing the evolution in, in the labor unions uh, uh, landscape right now. So, so some people are m- moving uh, unions. For instance, you'll find in Noom and Noom that particular case. Uh, so, so it might be easy for people to just raise these issues now because this is new in South Africa. Yes, well, you know, it's it's only new in the sense it's the first time the issue's ever been dealt with at the Constitutional Court. There have been other cases in the past of members suing their union. Uh, perhaps the most notable one was in the Springs Municipality, I think, in the late 1990s. So it's not new for that to happen, legal principles involved. I think what is new is that uh, two aggrieved members have managed to pursue the matter um, through the courts, uh, indeed, and the union has had to oppose them simply because of the large amount of money involved, uh, and the union, in effect, are the ones that brought it before the Constitutional Court. So um, from a legal point of view, I don't think there's there's any new law, but it is certainly throwing the spotlight on a union's obligations to its members, specifically when it comes to acting for them uh, in the labor dispute resolution process. Mm. And, and, and does this then uh, keep unions in, in, in check? I, I see now some would say unions really have, uh, have diverted. They've, they've, they've lost focus. They're focusing on politics now as opposed to taking care of uh, uh, the workers' uh, issues. No, certainly the unions are in a lot of trouble at the moment for all kinds of reasons, and politics is just one of them, the economic recession is another, the unemployment rates, there, there, there are many things uh, acting uh, you know, against the union movement at the moment, uh, but the kind of issue dealt with here is really a very commonplace thing, it happens every day at CCMA offices all across the country, unions come and represent their members, and, uh, you know, when they mess it up, uh, the Constitutional Court has said you must pay the price. Hmm. All right. Uh, well, thank you very much, uh, Gavin Brown, Independent Labor Analyst here on SAFM 104-107. A couple of SMSs here. Uh, this one coming from Ernest in Soweto saying that uh, Devon H. must be honest and declare his secret DA support. His activities uh, are just a smokescreen. These are anti-Zuma sentiments. Don't fool the majority. And uh, this one from uh, Laki Mashele in Matsakali Village saying that not all is lost in the fight against e-tolling. People mobilization is the only solution against money-making schemes. And uh, justice has been done to those men who were misled by FAU. Good outcome indeed. NUMSA is the only union that is uh, grounded to the workers currently. That's Brian Kumar of them. And uh, all Khautengas and all others uh, that don't approve of uh, the system have to do it uh, to vote the government out uh, at uh, the next elections. Just some of the SMSs coming through here on SFM 104-107. We go to the Eastern Cape now, and uh, with the promise that I'll be reading more of your SMSs and 
tweets coming through at 34701 at Kuala B News at SAFM Midday Live and at Midday Live at sabc.co.za. The South African National Civic Organization Sanko leadership has asked the Eastern Cape local government to take over the administration of the beleaguered Inkwaka municipality as Sanko alleges that the municipal manager there is not qualified for the position. Sanko has been at loggerheads with Inkwaka municipality over issues of alleged maladministration, fraud and nepotism. Local government head Stanley Kanyele intervened in the saga, but his intervention was rejected by Sanko. For more on this now, we joined on the line by the Secretary of Sanko in the Inkwaka sub-region, Mbuiselo Matiwana. Ms. Matiwana, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? I'm all right. Just uh, talk us through these uh, issues. What is it that you want the Eastern Cape local government to do? Um, thank you and good afternoon to your listeners. Firstly, we want uh, the Eastern Cape government that is local government to take over this uh, local uh, municipality. Secondly, there is a forensic uh, investigation taking place. That forensic investigation must take place when these guys are already suspended. We want them to be suspended and then that uh, investigation can take place and we can be able then to accept uh, the legitimate one. Oh, you're calling for two things, for the, for the province to take over the running of this municipality and the forensic investigations. But why? Um, the forensic investigation part is the one that was, what was suggested by uh, the SG, the, the Superintendent General, Stanley Kanyele. Because our issues are issues that need to be followed up to be investigated. So he said, for him to be able to intervene in this, it's better he conduct or he, 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 he commissioned a team that is going to uh, do a, a forensic investigation. Number two, on our part, we say, when they conduct that uh, uh, forensic investigation, they must uh, take over the municipality. They must run the municipality. That is, we call for the administration. Yes, I, I hear all that, but but why is is the question? Why are you calling for this investigation? Why are you calling for the uh, the Eastern Cape local government to take over the running? Are, are there are there issues that uh, you have uh, un, un, unearthed there as uh, as Sanko? Uh, just help us understand. We have a petition in place here. In that petition, we have a few delivery issues that we have raised. Number one is electricity uh, uh, delivery coupled with water and, uh, and sewer spillage. And, and, and those are our basic delivery issues. Now, also, on the part of governance, we have, we have seen that in the part of the governance, there are issues that need to be uh, 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 investigated. For instance, the employment of the municipal, uh, uh, municipal manager. That guy we know for a fact that he doesn't qualify. And this was confirmed by the Auditor General. So why must we keep the, 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 the municipal manager when we know very well that he, he doesn't he, he qualify to be in the position he occupies? Mm. All right. And, uh, and when you talk to the municipality, what is their reaction to uh, the non-qualification, as you put it, uh, of the municipal manager? Why are they not just uh, terminating uh, that contract and get someone who's qualified? Have you spoken to them? Have you engaged them? You, you will realize, um, uh, my brother, that now the petition is at the level of, of the province. We first um, uh, uh, wrote a petition and addressed it to the local government, our local municipality here in Moldino, in Gwanda. There we were, we, we were not uh, answered satisfactorily. That is 
why then we, we took the matter to the province? Because the province is the one that can be able to tell these guys uh, that they must do the, the correct thing. The correct thing is to answer to our petition. Our petition, now as a result of that petition, we say the MM does not qualify and the people that have employed the MM will be your councils. The council as well All right. go out and they must be removed. Alright, uh, uh, just stay on the line. Uh, let me pre- bring in here Mtandazo Kamgwana, who is the executive mayor there at uh, the Inkwata local municipality. Uh, m- wh- what do you make of, uh, of this, ma'am? Hello. Hi, sir. How, how, how do you respond to this? Hello. Uh, uh, good, 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 good afternoon to the listeners and, uh, and to, to you. Uh, I don't know whether you want me to, to respond to all the issues that he has raised. Just, just a couple of issues that he's raised. Just a few issues that he's raised. The issue that uh, the, the municipal manager is not qualified. The issue that uh, uh, off-service delivery, uh, sewage and spillage, and uh, you are not responding to that. And, of course, the issue that uh, the Eastern Cape local government must take over the running of that municipality. One, let, 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 let me first start with the issue of the issue that the municipal manager does not qualify. But first, let me start. They, they petition the local government to do a forensic investigation uh, in these matters. And we welcomed that. And local government came here to do an investigation, and then they rejected the, the report that was presented to them. It went after that the, the local government looked for outside people, which means the services of the consultant to do that. Uh, the issue that uh, the MM does not qualify, it's a myth, because they are basing this on an issue that uh, the MM does not uh, have CPMD, of which CPMD is uh, it's a certificate that National Treasury is saying all the Section 56 and Section 57 managers should have on 2014. Uh, let me say today it's 2030, and the MM is currently doing the, the, the CPMD. So I still have time to do that. And the, and the, the MM is qualified for the job and they interviewed were done according to the amendment of the system. So as, as far as you're concerned, there's no need for the local government in the Eastern Cape to intervene. As far as you're concerned, your municipality is running smoothly. There are no issues. In terms of the, the, the MM, we, yes, because even after we, 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 have, we, were, we were doing the recruitment of the MM, remember, the amendment of system therapy requires that before you, you appoint, you must get a concurrence from the NEC of local government and traditional affairs. We do have the concurrence for that. The NEC concurred with us that we have done the recruitment in terms of a prescribed law of this country, which is the amendment, of, which is the system act as amended. All right, so we'll try. That one is a need. It's a certain number of Okay. No, we I can put it in that way. Okay. Tandazo Kamgwana is uh, the executive mayor of Nkwaka local municipality. Also on the line earlier on, we were speaking to Mbuisailo Madiwana, who is the secretary of Sanko in uh, the Nkwaka sub-region.
uh, this in the Eastern Cape. We'll follow up this story, I can promise you uh, right now, but you have the two uh, sides there putting it forward. All right, let's read uh, some of uh, your SMSs coming through on 34701. Sandra and the ANC are very arrogant with regards to it all. People must just not use the highway and create havoc on the roads uh, way more there. And this one says, uh, what happens to the surplus after the 200 or rather 20 billion rand is paid as Mzwandile January? And uh, this one will pay but not vote for the NC again. It's unsigned. Any Mzansi life package with uh, South Africans e-tolling road pass and uh, the uncompetitive chicken tax is counterproductive to the poor, says uh, Pasega Makoti. And uh, this one from uh, Anthony says, what Sandra forgets is that taxes raised in Gauteng cross-subsidize most of the rest of the country. So a bit of everyone paying through the fuel levy is a small ask, uh, says uh, Anthony there. And uh, this one says, double taxing the fuel price includes an amount of roads. Why toll fees? It's unsigned. All right, we'll come back to the rest of uh, your SMSs and, of course, uh, tweets also coming through at uh, Kuala P News at SFM uh, Midday Live. All right, uh, with that, then we give you your lunchtime market updates. As we say, good afternoon to Clinton Smith, Portfolio Manager at Sasfin Securities. How are the markets looking today, uh, Clinton? Good afternoon, Bongi. Well, the markets are down again today, uh, which is in line with most of the international markets as uh, investors continue to watch the, the budget situation in the U.S. At the moment, we've got the gold board down 1.9%. Uh, resources are trading flat, more or less. Uh, industrials down 0.8%, and financials are down 1.1%. Uh, overall, the market's down 254 points at the moment, or 0.6 of a percent lower. It's at 43,008 points. Mm, as if maybe the, the markets have not responded yet to the ETOL ruling by the Supreme Court of Appeal in Bloemfontein. Any big movers today so far, Clinton? Uh, trading high today, we've got uh, Aving trading uh, on the upside uh, 4.3% uh, at 27 rand 70. Astropax up 1.5% at 6 rand 70. Uh, Suntum uh, is up 1% at 196 rand and MTN is up 1% at 190 rand 41 cents. Uh, and then trading lower today, uh, Anglo Gold is down 2.5% at uh, 126.97. Uh, we've got AVR down 2.1% at 58.42. Uh, Sunlum down 2% at 46.38 and lastly Grinrod is down 2% at 24.98 And uh, your latest market indicators? Uh, gold price is currently $1,312 an ounce. Uh, Platinum is trading $1,391. Uh, Brent crude is currently $109.38 a barrel. Uh, yield on R157 is 6.04%. 6. And then finally, the rand is trading at 9,097 to the dollar, uh, 13.49 to the euro, and 15.94 to the pound. And that's it for me. And uh, we thank you very much, uh, Clinton Smith from Sasfin Securities. Midday Live on SAFM, 104 to 107. All right, uh, let's go through uh, some more of your SMSs coming through at uh, 34701. The issue really is that of uh, uh, the Supreme Court of Appeals in Bloemfontein ruling uh, that uh, against the uh, outer, and uh, of course it will appear that... Uh, uh, the country is set for the e-tolls here in Gauteng. All right, uh, SMSs, I stay in Northwest and I envy Gauteng as roads, uh, world-class uh, highways and byways, but uh, I'm surprised that the Gautengers uh, don't want to pay for these roads. What else are they going to boycott? That's uh, Matla in uh, the Northwest. This one says, tell Mr. Mona to stop being arrogant. Surely the fuel levy could be applied in Gauteng vicinity only. And this one, hi, the ANC will lose uh, 
many votes uh, come 2014 because of uh, the e-toll, says uh, uh, Henry in uh, Nell Sprite. And this one, forced contributions reduces the country to ruin like uh, e-toll. It's unsigned. And this one uh, says uh, the anti-e-toll lobby is shooting itself in the foot. Uh, their fruitless campaign is a damn squib. SA road users stand to benefit from e-tolls. That's uh, Ian Matikoto and uh, Seshiho there. All right, I don't have time for now at least to read uh, your tweets, uh, but uh, uh, I will try and come back to them quickly. Let's talk now to uh, Joe Maile. He speaks on behalf of uh, the Department of Health. Uh, uh, you may have heard uh, Health Minister Dr. Aaron Motsualedi saying that uh, part of the money from uh, the Global Fund will be used to fight uh, tuberculosis uh, in uh, correctional uh, facilities in the country. This follows an announcement by uh, the Deputy President Halima Mutlante that uh, the Global Fund has approved a 3 billion rand for HIV and TB programs in the country. Mr. Maile, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon and good afternoon to the listeners. Thank you very much. It's a lot of money, 3 billion rand. Is it coming to South Africa only or is it going to be shared with uh, maybe SADC? Well, the 3 billion that you're talking about is something that is going to be um, a South African fund uh, that must be used for HIV and TB programs. And we are very excited as the country that we are able to get this kind of money uh, which will use to deal with the issues of TB and HIV in the country. Have you figured out how you're going to be distributing this money, how you're going to be using it really to, uh, for, for the cause that it was meant for? Of course, there is a number of things that we're going to be doing. In fact, as part of our uh, presentation or the proposal for this kind of money, uh, we've already put um, uh, what is it that we wanted to do with the money. Number one is to make sure that we deal with the issues of prevention, uh, both on HIV and TB, uh, just to make sure that indeed our people do not get um, uh, this particular diseases and infections, but also that we need to make sure that we up the game in terms of um, uh, the issue of uh, treatment in both people who have um, a TB and those who have HIV and those who have a co-infection so that must be able to deal with this matter um, uh, 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 um, seriously so that the people that are on treatment will stay on treatment and those who need to be in treatment are not on treatment because of this other um, whatever the reason particularly if this anything to do with the funding and so forth, that those people must be enrolled on, fund, on, on, on treatment immediately. So we know exactly what we're going to do to make sure that indeed we use this money as according to why they were uh, uh, brought to us in the first place. And uh, allocating uh, a chunk of it towards uh, uh, correctional facilities, can you, can you talk us through that? Because uh, there, there is a serious prevalence of, uh, of TB and AIDS uh, in, in our correctional facilities. Indeed, you'll know that uh, the probability of people who are in correctional uh, facilities to contract TB is very high. And therefore, what we need to do is to make sure that we deal with the issues of prevention in that in that particular sector. And therefore, um, uh, part of the money, the best chunk of it will be used in correctional facilities uh, for treatment and prevention. But also that another fund, another part of it will be used in the mining sector. Because you'd know that also in the mining sector, that uh, that problem is also very... the problem prevalence in the mining sector is, is very high, particularly in gold mines due to silica dust. And therefore, we need to make sure that um, uh, part of the money we're using it there uh, so that we must be able to uh, do full screening of TB of all inmates in 258 correctional services in the country. 
um, uh, that also we need to make sure that 400,000 of minors and their families and communities surrounding them are also, um, uh, uh, we, we do screening for them. So that once we pick up that there is TB in those areas, we are able to uh, come in immediately for treatment. But also that if uh, there is a suspect that somebody has TB who is in correctional facility or in the mine, then we also follow up with the members of their family so that must be able to screen them so okay. that if there's anybody who has it we need to come in and, 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 and deal with it immediately Great stuff, thank you very much Joe Maile speaks on behalf of the Department of uh, Transport, a couple of tweets there uh, from uh, Tabiso saying uh, Kuala B News that ANC is not going to win elections in Gauteng just because of uh, e-tolls and this, uh, this one from Linda Lanim Kiza saying they can be a reality but I do not have a plan for e-tolls enforceable or not, sorry, Sunrun I cannot afford it, period. And uh, Siegfried uh, Henning says, we've yet to hear the court's reasons for approving each all highway uh, robbery. Was it uh, unable to challenge a corrupt executive? Uh, that's uh, Siegfried there. And uh, from Debza Mashecho saying that uh, we have uh, sold our soul to three devil, which is... Uh, uh, okay, uh, alright. Debza, uh, don't uh, really understand this one, but Mtutuzeli um, says that um, Perpetua won't budge to this evil etols. They can do whatever, but people will surely overcome this as we did with uh, the National Party. Some of the tweets coming through at Kualapi News. With that, then we say good afternoon uh, to the team at Create. Create is proudly presented by Business and Arts South Africa, bringing the business of the arts and the art of business together. Currently showing at the Witz Art Museum is the photographic exhibition Mshaba 1913-2013. The exhibition, which features work by more than 30 photographers and draws on collections of 12 archives, commemorates the centenary of the enactment of the Land Act by sketching the history of land dispossession and its legacies seen through the lenses of photographers. Curated by Paul Weinberg, David Goldblatt, Bongi Dlomo and Pam Warne, the exhibition was commissioned as part of the Land Divided 2013 conference, which was held earlier this year in Cape Town. According to Goldblatt, it was important to feature images as a precursor to the Land Act, giving a better understanding of the history of land and the Land Act in South Africa. Broadly speaking, we had to look at material that was relevant to the various issues that arise when you consider the land and the Land Act in particular. And so, for example, we looked for material that was a prelude to the Land Act. African people on the land, how did they manage? What kind of farming did they do? White farming, the South African War, and what effects that had. The scorched earth policy that was followed by the British, which destroyed vast amounts of capital belonging then to mostly to Afrikaner farmers. And, of course, as well to many black people because they were caught up in the conflict very severely. So these were things that concerned us. One of the portraits by photographer Hugh Exton was done in 1895. Goldblatt explains the significance of these images. I think it was Earl Bowman who unearthed some photographs from Polokwane from Petersburg. Now these were done between about 1895 and 1945 by the local portrait photographer, a man called Hugh Exton. He must have been quite an extraordinary man because, first of all, he was self-taught. He set himself up as the local studio photographer. And the significant thing is this. In rural areas then, certainly within my memory, a country doctor or a country dentist and probably also a country lawyer would have had a front door for white clients or patients and a back door for blacks. 
and there would have been a surgery at the back for blacks mm-hmm. and a surgery at the front for whites. Now, I'm not comparing Hugh Exton with a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer, but he had a practice. And it seems, if you look at his photographs, that he made no distinction whatever between his customers. They were all given the same dignity, the same respect, and the same masterful technical ability. He was a fantastic craftsman. They were beautifully executed photographs. And so we have about 40 of them running as a separate theme through the exhibition. However, Goldblatt does feel that there are certain gaps in the exhibition. Well, we should have had something like a year to do this, at least a year, because I'm sure that lurking in archives in various parts of this country and possibly even overseas in places like London are photographs that we missed. The nearest photograph that we could find relating to the actual passing of the Land Act is a photograph of the Cabinet in 1910. So we have nothing on the actual passing of the Land Act. I don't know whether there were photographs at all in newspapers then. I don't know whether there were photographs privately made, the voting in Parliament, the actual passing of the Act. On the other hand, I think that we unearthed some really interesting material, very powerful stuff, and I think it's quite a strong exhibition. Fiona Rankin-Smith is the Special Projects Curator of WAM. Within the exhibition, there are a number of smaller narratives throughout David Goldblatt's series that he did in relation to the Kasmain story that Charles van Onselen did such an incredible book, The Cedar's Mine, about the story of Kasmain, who was a sharecropper who wouldn't get off his land, and documented this man's life, basically. And David documented a small photographic essay, which is also the most extraordinary little essay. There's a series of pictures of people being forcibly removed off their land in Machopa in the 1980s, an essay by Paul Weinberg, and then there are a series of Blumhoff pictures. Santumofa King did that series of photographs, and there are about five of those. Club in 1913 to 2013 will be running at the Witz Art Museum in Johannesburg until the 10th of November. The photographs are extraordinary, a diverse selection of the history and heritage of this country, and it's well worth taking some time out to get to see it. I'm Michelle Constant. This feature was produced by Monique Stunder, and you can email me on create at barsa.co.za. Create, proudly brought to you by Business and Arts South Africa, creating new opportunities for business arts partnerships. Email create at barsa.co.za. Melissa Kumala, Yonela Morgan Duku, and Tulani Engwenya. I see all your tweets. Thank you very much. And Debs, I understand your tweet now. But this one is interesting, coming from Matla, saying that South Africans are so used to toy-toying and getting things for free. Unions toy-toy for more money but poor productivity. Community toy-toy for service delivery but do not pay for services. Now Khartengas want to ride on lovely roads for free. Why? As much as that. Thank you very much for listening. We shall meet again tomorrow for your Thursday edition of Midday Live. Till then, bye bye. Here's the news at one with Utsile Sako.